Welcome. Happy Easter. Um, welcome to the College of Young Adult class. Uh, for any visitors here, uh, we just want to welcome you. Uh, we're happy that you're here. Uh, this is an especially uh, exciting day uh, for all of us, because as Uriah said, Christ is risen. Right? Christ is risen, and that's something to be excited about, uh, because my life uh, is in, it's in Christ. And because he's ridden, risen, uh, so am I, uh, and that's worth rejoicing. Uh, so uh, my name is Miles. I'm not usually here. So our pastor, our leader, uh, our man is Brandon Briscoe, and that's the man that we're all following. That's why we got all the woot woots, because that man uh, is our leader. And so I would encourage all of you that are visiting to come back next week uh, so you can hear from the man that God's put in front of me, uh, that's put in front of us, and we're so thankful for him. So thank you, Brandon. I love you. Um, and uh, yeah, you mean the world to me. Um, but uh, I'm very excited for, for what we have. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 11 today. See, John chapter 11. I'm really bad at titles and PowerPoints, apparently. Um, so... Uh, it is what it is. Um, but man, I pray that you'd be attentive. Uh, there is nothing special about me or anything that I have to say. Uh, but this book, it is powerful. It's incredible. Um, and uh, man, we can't even begin to, to comprehend uh, the depths that it has for us. Um, so uh, it speaks to the issues of our life. Uh, to everything that surrounds us. It gives us direction. It provides peace when we desperately uh, need it. Um, and my Bible study, we've been going through the book of John. And in studying throughout the, the Gospels, uh, one thing that we hear Jesus saying over and over again in his earthly ministry is, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Right? He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And looking out in the crowd, I see a lot of ears. Uh, so I would ask of you the same thing. Uh, he that hath ears to hear, uh, let him hear. Um, I pray that today we come with expectation to hear from the Lord, right? That's why we're here, um, that we would uh, leave today having learned something and desiring to actually apply it to our lives, right? Uh, that God would deal with us. Otherwise, we're wasting our time here. Otherwise, you could have slept in or gone off to brunch. Uh, I could have saved my breath, right? Uh, but we're here, so it seems fit that we should take something from this and actually apply it to our lives, uh, the Bible puts it this way, that this word, it's profitable for doctrine, it's profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that you, that the, the man of God might be perfect, right? You'd be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so I beg that you would come with open ears, uh, with, a, with a soft heart, and that you'd allow God to deal with you today with what he has for us. Uh, so we're going to be in John chapter 11, but before we dive in, I'm going to pray because I need it, okay? Uh, Lord, I thank you so much um, for Jesus Christ. Um, and today, uh, what a sobering day uh, to reflect on just the, the power of our salvation, the power of your resurrection. Uh, it's completely transformed my life, and it's put me on a whole other trajectory that I could have never imagined for myself, Lord. Uh, but I'm so thankful that you intervened in, in my life uh, because of what I wanted for myself, my own desires, it's not what was good for me. It's not what I needed. Um, but, but Jesus made a way, and Lord, I pray that as we're here, that we would hear from your word, and that it would transform us, and uh, Lord, uh, that it would set the trajectory uh, for our life. Uh, so Lord, uh, bless this time, 
Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd set me aside because I'm just a, a man of stumbling lips and I'm just good enough to, to, to mess this up, right? To, to not communicate clearly uh, what you've given us, Lord. Uh, so, Lord, I just pray uh, that this message would be clear, that it'd be simple, and that it'd be your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Alrighty, so we are in John chapter 11, and if you are there, starting in verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany. Uh, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, it was Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment uh, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Uh, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, who's Mary, and Lazarus, when he had heard thereof that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. So, just as a quick introductory, so we see Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, right? Uh, and he receives a message uh, that his friend, his buddy Lazarus, it says, whom he lovest, uh, is sick, right? And this isn't a small issue. This isn't a common cold or he's got allergies because it's that time of the year. Like, this is a big deal, right? This is why his sisters would have gone through this great lengths to send this messenger uh, unto Jesus to inform him of his condition. Uh, he is indeed in, you know, a dire position. And so they, they make it known to Jesus because they know of Jesus as well, right? They've been following his ministry. They know that, that Jesus is powerful, Right? They've heard his messages, uh, they, they, they know of his ministry, but what they've seen also is that he has the power to heal, right? His sisters, are, they're sending this message to Jesus because, hey, we've been following and we've seen how you've intervened in the lives of all these strangers amidst your ministry, and this is your, this is your buddy, right? This is the man that you love, uh, and he's sick too, and so we need you desperately uh, to intercede, to make a way uh, for your friend because we're hopeless, and instead of quickly dropping everything that he's doing, it says that Jesus just sent a message back saying, hey, it's going to be for God's glory. And he hung out with his disciples two more days before engaging his disciples to leave. Right? There's no urgency to his cause. Uh, if we look in verse 7, it says that Jesus summons his disciples to return with him to Judea. And picking it up back in verse 11 through 14, it says, These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Right? He's just asleep. But I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleepeth, he shall, he'll do well, right? What's wrong? He's asleep. He's good. Let him be. And howbeit Jesus spake of his death, uh, but they thought that he spoke of taking rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Whoa, sobering, right? Lazarus is dead. Uh, so we've got a lot of ground to cover today. And before we dive in, I pray that you'd consider the person of Martha, that you'd consider the person of Mary, and that you'd consider the person of Lazarus, uh, that you'd look at this story, this passage, uh, through their lens and consider who Jesus is to you in this story. And before we dive in, it's crucial uh, to lay some groundwork, to lay some, some foundational um, information that's so important to this story, this passage, and for the, the whole remainder of Scripture. It's a very, very simple foundation. And that's that Jesus loves Lazarus, right? Jesus loves Lazarus. He loves Martha, and he loves Mary. And I'd be remiss if I didn't add that he loves you too. He loves you too. And you say, how do I know that Jesus loves Lazarus? Well, if you look at the text, you know, it was evident. 
Jesus loved Lazarus so much that other people took notice of it, right? That Mary and Martha would send the messenger saying, hey, this is the man that you loved, right? He loved Lazarus so much uh, that he was known, Lazarus is known as a man that Jesus loved. And if that's not convincing, if that's not a compelling enough argument for you, in verse 5, I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, who's Mary, and Lazarus, right? He loved them very clearly and very plainly. And the love of Christ and God's glory are foundational to understanding the motives and intentions for anything that Christ does, period. You get that? The love of Christ and God's glory are foundational to understanding anything that Jesus does, period. And this isn't some, you know, heady theological idea that's lofty and that that we can't really apply to our lives. But personally, God loves you. And you must establish that as the lens by which you view everything, okay? Uh, In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, he loves us so much that he gave up everything. He died for us, right? Uh, his love is unconditional. While we were yet sinners, while we were his enemy, while we were against him, uh, Christ was willing to, to sacrifice everything because he loved you and me. And you say, yeah, I've heard that message before, right? You say, yeah, I was at church last Easter, and uh, they said the same thing. I know that, that Christ died for me, right? I, I know that he, he, he was uh, buried, that he, he, he died on a cross for my sins. I know this. You see, but it's one thing to know this academically, But when you're in the thick of it, right, when you're desperate, it seems like the world is closing in on you. When you're facing trial and opposition and there appears to be no hope, when your brother Lazarus is about to die and there's nothing that you can do but sit and watch him, right? There's nothing that you can do. Do you know that he loves you? When he doesn't perform the miracle that you wanted and you say, hey, God, I had faith that you would do this thing. In fact, I I sent messengers. As soon as I learned of his sickness, I interceded. I said, you know, help me. We need help. Do you know that that God loves you even when Lazarus died? And you're saying, where were you, God? Amidst the loss of everything, are you confident that Jesus loves you and that God desires to work that situation for good? See, Martha and Mary, they had faith. They trusted in the Lord, and they made their request made known unto him, right? And their brother still died. He didn't come through like they expected him to, right? They prayed, they had faith, but he didn't come through like they expected him to. He didn't meet their expectations. And what do we do when this happens? How is that love? And the point here is that God will allow you to go through trials, and we have to trust that it's, uh, he's working it out for his glory, right? And, uh, man, uh, we need to look at the example of Joseph, um, in, in Genesis uh, chapter 50, if you wouldn't mind turning there with me, this is the, the most important book of the entire Bible, Genesis, right? Um, in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 20. And to set this up, if you don't know who Joseph is, he is an incredible picture of Christ in our Bible. And this man, uh, he was uh, the, the envy of his family, right? All of his brothers were jealous of him, so much so that they... Uh, betray him. They sold him into slavery. And uh, if that wasn't bad enough, uh, 
you know, he was falsely accused and imprisoned, um, and his name was slandered through the dirt. And amidst all of this, God used it and put him in a position where he'd become the second-hand man in Egypt, right? He'd be Pharaoh's right-hand man. And God used him to deliver his father, Israel, and his father's house uh, from a famine. God used him incredibly. And in this passage, it says, And when Joseph's brothers, uh, when his brethren saw that their father was dead, right, Israel passed away, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him, right? They're saying, hey, our dad's gone now, and there, there's no one to, to keep our brother in check. Now he's going to get us back. Now he's going to, to do vengeance because we stole him into slavery, right? Because we did wrong against him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of God, of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell before, uh, down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. They humbled themselves before Joseph. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive, right? So this takes place after the death of Israel, uh, Joseph's father, and uh, we see that his brothers are so scared that he's going to get back at them, right? Because, you know, his life didn't go the way that he expected, right? He was his father's favorite son, and he could have never imagined that his brothers would sell him into slavery. Uh, This is crazy. Uh, God meant Joseph's slavery his imprisonment, his loneliness, his betrayal for good. Uh, And I assure you uh, that as you follow God, he desires to work the trials in your life uh, for good as well, right? He desires to grow your faith through it. He desires to to ignite the faith of others, and most importantly, to save much people alive. And we can't see that right now, right? It took uh, Joseph having the, you know, being able to look back on the circumstance to see, hey, God actually used that to deliver my whole family from a famine, right? It takes the, the, the insight of time. And picking it back up uh, in, in verse 17, uh, let's see how God desires to use this dire circumstance, this trial uh, for his glory. It says, then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave for four days already, four days now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. So Jesus is coming and as soon as Martha hears that he's on his way, right, she runs out to meet him. 
And we all know people like Martha, right? Before Jesus could even get a word in, she's coming out his throat, right? Jesus, if you'd been here, Lord, if you'd been here, not a hello, how are you doing? It's so good to see you, Jesus. But hey, if you'd been here, my brother, he wouldn't be dead, right? She immediately starts blaming Jesus for the death of her brother. But let's make one thing clear. One thing clear is that she was not on the same schedule as Jesus, right? Uh, I've been studying through the book of John, and if we learn anything by studying the book of John, it's that Jesus is always right on time, right? He's always right on time. In fact, he's obsessed with it. He's always saying, the hour is not yet come, right? The hour is not yet come. The, the, oh, the hour is come. Oh, the hour is here. He's always obsessed with being on time, and he always knows what time it is, right? He's concerned with it. But we also must understand that he's patient, and often our disappointments and dilemmas root from an issue of not understanding his timing, yeah. right? Our dilemmas, our issues, come from a root of uh, not understanding his timing. But if we settle for anything less, anything else other than his timing, then we're selling ourselves short. Uh, so growing up, I, I ran track and field. My sister was actually, she, both my brother and my sister were all American track athletes. They're really, really talented. And then there's me. <laughs> but one thing that we heard all the time, uh, our coach, Coach Harvey, would tell us, that it's not microwave, right? And what he meant by telling us that it's not microwave is saying, hey, uh, there's no shortcut to the process, right? Uh, the real work has to get done in order to see real results. Uh, we need to slow cook it. And often God acts in the same way, right? It's not, you know, when we want it. We can't have it our way. It's not Burger King. It's, it's God's way, right? It's in his timing, and with that, we get God's results. And this is one of the most profound things that Eric taught me while I was going through discipleship, uh, is that it was an issue of timing. There's so many things I wanted for myself, right? There's so many things I desired to do, and not all of them were bad. But Eric said, hey, you can get it your way and your timing, or you could allow God to give it to you. And it took me to Luke chapter 4, which is actually a, a passage that Sam referenced uh, earlier uh, today. And in Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 11 through 13, this takes place right after Jesus is baptized by John, right? And it says that the Spirit led him into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did not eat nothing. And when uh, they ended, he afterwards hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it, if thou therefore wilt worship me. All shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He, right? Jesus starts to, or Satan starts to throw out a, it's written, right? I, I read the scriptures too. It's written that he shall give angels charge over thee to keep thee. Uh, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed for, uh, from him for a season. 
And what's really, really incredible about this passage is all the things that Satan offered unto to Jesus. They're good things, and they're things that Jesus desired. But what's really, really incredible is that it was an issue of time, right? One day, Jesus would have all of those things, right? If we read in Matthew chapter 4, right after this took place, it says, uh, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him, right? Like, it would happen. Uh, if we read further on in the passage, we see that, that Jesus is breaking bread, right? He's getting his food on with publicans and sinners and his disciples, right? He, he's eating that bread. And if we read the end of the story, we see that, that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess, right? He's going to rule. He's got an amazing kingdom. He's going to rule with a, a rod of iron. So all of these things would be Jesus's. And Satan's saying, hey, but you can have it now. All you have to do is worship me, right? You can have it now. And he says, no, it's written. I, I know how this all plays out. And it's better for me to get these things in God's timing than in my own, right? In my own power, in my own will, in my own time. God's time is so much better. So often God desires to bless us and desires to give us the desires of our hearts. But we must understand that his timing is better than ours. You see, Jesus could have healed Lazarus before he died. Uh, but if he did that, we would be missing out on this incredible miracle, right? On this incredible story. And if he did that, it would rob the testimony that spread abroad uh, that Jesus has the power to, to raise uh, the, the dead and give them new life. And ultimately, this established before his death, before his resurrection, that Jesus Christ has the power over the grave, right? Guys, he can give new life. And so often we don't experience contentment amidst trials is because we don't understand God's timing. Yeah, that's a key point. So often we don't experience contentment amidst trials uh, because we don't understand God's timing. And it's interesting, so often we don't experience contentment amidst trials because we don't believe that Jesus applies to our circumstance today, right? You say, yes, I know that Jesus Christ died for me. I know that, that you know, 2,000 years ago he died on a cross. Uh, yes, I believe that for salvation. Yes, I, I know who Jesus is, uh, but you, you don't understand what's going on in my life. But, you know, but this, but that, but that, just, you know, shut up. No, I understand. Jesus understands. Um, and if you can trust on him for salvation, then you can trust on him for any circumstance that you're going through, right? If he can overcome the grave, then anything you're going through, he can meet you there. Paul says it this way, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified amongst you, this only would I learn of you, receive ye Christ by the works of the law, or by hearing of faith, right? Do you do it by works or by faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? Why would you look for contentment for answers outside of Christ? It, it doesn't exist, right? And we see Jesus says, Martha, your brother will rise again, right? He affirms her. He offers her hope. He, he gives her comfort. And she said, yeah, I know, but. Yeah, I, I know that he will, but I, I want him now. I know he's going to rise again at the final day, uh, but I'd rather have him now. And I hate that. Right? I hate when you know, you're trying to tell someone something and they immediately shut you down and they give you an I know. And what they mean when they say I know is uh, I know up here. Intellectually, intellectually I understand. Uh, I have this theological understanding of the truth that you're telling me, but do you actually believe it? Right? Do you believe it for your circumstance? Are you able to apply it? What good is Jesus being resur the resurrection in life if we can't give new life to those who ask of him? Right? What good is that? 
If your God died on a cross 2,000 years ago and has nothing to do personally with you navigating the affairs of this world, then I don't know that I'd be interested in it either. Right? If he's got nothing to do with your circumstances, then what good is it? But that's not Jesus. That's not who he is. He's very nigh unto us. Right? We see Jesus pleading with Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this. And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Yea, God, I believe that thou art the Son of God, right? That you are the Christ that has come into the world. I mean, come on. What? Hey, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? She says, yeah, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God that's come into the world. What kind of textbook answer is that, right? That's like me saying, hey, who is he? And you're like, oh, it's Jesus. But what does that mean to you, right? Yeah, that's, oh, it's, oh, it makes me sick, right? It's the most religious thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I believe that you're, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. I mean, how often do I hear that? But who is he to you today? I'm not asking if you believe that I'm the, you know, the Christ. I'm asking if you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life that will apply to your circumstance right now. Right? I apply to your circumstance right now in the midst of your trial. Often we do not experience contentment amidst trials because we fail to see that the word of God actually applies to our circumstances and our lives. It's not some mystical thing, right? The Bible is not so far off that you can't understand it. It's very nigh unto you. The word is personal and when we take it in its simplicity and actually apply it to our lives and actually start living it out, walking it out, it yields fruit. It's incredible, right? Only one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. It changes everything. But so many of us, we just approach it like a book, like religion, right? We come in Sunday and we say our amens and we go back and live life however we want to live it, right? We don't actually yield to this book. But when we begin to apply it to the circumstances of our life, man, that's when we start seeing God move. That's when we start seeing him do miracles, right? That's when we start seeing him healing people, raising people from the dead, giving them new life. That's where the good stuff takes place. In John chapter 11, verses 32 through 45, it says, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Right? She takes one right out of Martha's book. Hey, if you would have been here, he'd be with us. And when Jesus uh, therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Man, I could preach just on that alone, right? Come and see. And Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them, right, there's no doubt that Jesus loves Lazarus. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? <sighs> Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone laid upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Why bother? He stinks. For he has been dead for four days. And do you see their problem, right? They, the Jews, they, they know that he can heal. They've heard testimony of his miracles. They don't doubt that. I mean, that's why Mary and Martha called him in the first place. right? They believe that he could heal, 
but it's evident that they lacked faith in his resurrection power. Right? It's one thing to heal someone that's sick. It's another thing to, to rise someone up from the dead. The people said that this man opened the eyes of the blind. Right? They acknowledged what he'd done. But if he would have gotten here earlier before he died, right, that he could have saved them, past tense. They failed to see his resurrection power. Martha says, hey, he's been in there for four days. He stinks. Don't bother. She fails to see his resurrection power. They know that Jesus was powerful. They knew that he did miracles, but they didn't understand the extent of it all. They didn't understand his power over death. He had to do this that they might know and believe that he was a solution to their most dire problems that we might face in this life. Literally, right? To the most dire problems that we face. And so we see Jesus saying to her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, that's the key, thou shouldst see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which, uh, which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen the thing which Jesus did and believed on him. Whew. So as I said in the beginning, uh, Jesus loves Lazarus, right? He loves him so much and he loves you too. And just as he gave Lazarus new life, he desires to give you new life as well. But just like Lazarus, it will cost you everything. And following Jesus in newness of life, there must be a death to your old life. And following Jesus in newness of life, there must be a death to your old life, right? You have to leave it in the grave. God's called you to bigger and to better things, to a new life in Him, right? To the fruit of the Spirit. He wants so much more for you. Uh, in Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 3 through 11, it reads, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. What amazing promise. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might, destroy, might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. What a promise. Now, if ye were dead with Christ, if ye be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I could, man, that's a mic drop moment. I could end right there and walk off and we could deal with it ourselves. Uh, but we see the very first thing that Christ does after ordering Lazarus to come forth from the grave is he, he orders that his grave clothes would be removed, Right? It says that Lazarus was bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto him, Loose him and let him go. 
right? Take off those bonds from him, those things that are keeping him in the grave. And Christ desired to do the same thing for us, right? He desires to do the same thing for us. All of us were slaves unto sin and death, every single one of us. But the Bible declares that all who are dead in Christ are freed from sin. It's our way out. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. And if we're in him, has no more dominion over us. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. That's a call to us, to live unto God. So please understand one thing. If, this, if you don't take anything else away from this message, just one thing. You need Jesus to loose you from the grave. You, you need it in your life. The Bible says that by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. You see, Adam is our oldest grandfather, right? If we, you know, take our, our lineage back, Adam is our, our oldest grandfather, and he sinned. And, and just like a, you know, an issue of blood that's passed down through the bloodline, through your lineage, he's passed on uh, this nature of sin to, to, to all of us as well. And you don't need me to tell you that. You know that you're a sinner, right? You know that you've messed up, that you've done bad things, that you've lived an unholy life. And Romans 3 declares that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Death, it's the inevitable future for everyone, right? We're already condemned because every single human has sinned. And sinning even once earns you death, which is eternal separation from God. But Jesus, right? But Jesus, this, this man who's fully God and fully man, he came to earth and he lived a perfect life that none of us could live without any sin at all. You see, he loved humanity so much that he died in our place. He died for us, literally taking the sin debt that we all have racked up, past, present, and future, and paying for it with his death and with his blood. He commendeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were against him, Christ died for us. You see, this free gift is nothing that we can earn. It is grace which means it's undeserved favor, right? We don't, we don't deserve this. It's not something that we've earned. It's simply believing in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confessing Jesus as Lord, that you, you can have freedom, right? And that we're free, and that we're loosed, and that uh, the, the, the grave clothes get let go of us. It's not working your way to God. Instead, it's accepting that God has worked his way to us and putting your faith in his work at the cross, and if you've been trying to live a good life, right, if you've been trying to, to be a good person, to be in good standing with God, but don't know without a shadow of a doubt that you're freed like Lazarus is free, right, if you, if you don't know that you have newness of life, uh, then please, I, I beg of you uh, to, to, to wrestle with that, right? I, I beg of you even to come up front, right? If you're a Bible study leader, uh, please, I, I would encourage you to come up too uh, to meet with these people, uh, that, that need counsel, right? They need to know what would happen to them if they, they died today. They need that surety of life. Like, I mean, you guys can come up, Bible study leaders. Um, and if you're confident that you, you are saved, if you're saying, hey, yeah, I've heard this before. It's nothing special. Yeah, I'm saved. I check, right? Uh, then I've got something for you, too. If you wouldn't mind turning with me to, to chapter 12, And we've got Bible study leaders and counselors up here for you. Uh, if you don't know without a shadow of a doubt uh, that you have newness of life, I, I, I would plead that you'd come forth uh, and we can make that right now. Right? They will work uh, with you to, to help you understand uh, your salvation. Uh, in chapter 12 it says, 
Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him, Jesus, a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And here we see the testimony of true believers that have seen and experienced the power of resurrection. They've seen it, they've experienced it in their lives. And we see what comes out of that is that Martha serves Jesus, right? She serves Jesus. We see that Lazarus, he, he fellowshiped, he broke bread with Jesus. We see that Mary worshipped him, right? She took the most precious thing that she had and she poured it out at his feet in worship. And I know for a fact that many of us here profess to be believers, right? But if you've experienced the power of resurrection in your life and it hasn't brought you to a place of, of yielding everything in service to the Lord, right? And, and plugging in where you're at, at your local church and, and serving him through, through service in the, through the local church. If you aren't at a place where you're communing with the Father regularly, right? If you're not opening this word up, if you're not meeting with him in prayer every day, if it hasn't brought you to a place where you're, you're to the end of yourself, where the most precious things in your life that you hold on to, you lay at the feet of Jesus and say, hey, you have your way with my life, right? You have your way with my life. These things I've been holding on to, my own desires, my own pursuits, my, my agenda, I give it to you, Lord. I want to worship you with everything. If that's not true of your life and you say you're a believer, then what's up, right? We've got things to work through too. This should be true of every one of us. If we've experienced the resurrection power in our lives, if he's given us newness of life and that hasn't brought you to a place of service, of fellowship with the Lord, and of laying down everything and saying, hey, this is all yours, then what are we doing? We're playing at it, right? And it's not worth it. Like I said earlier, if we're just going to go through the motions, we're just going to come up here and do this thing on Sunday mornings, then we might as well just sleep in. I might as well save my breath. But... This is profitable. It impacts everything, and it changes the whole scope of our lives. So I beg you to consider these things. I beg you to make hard decisions. And uh, the worship team, please, please come up, uh, and we're going to end in worship. But before I let you go, in Mark 16, verse 5, it says, And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were frightened. And he saith unto them, Be not afraid, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. Right? They, they come, they're looking for Jesus, they go to his tomb, and they see this man who they don't know, and he says, Hey, you're seeking Jesus, right? They say, Yeah, we're seeking Jesus. And he tells them, He is risen, he's not here. That's the Lord we serve. He's the, 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 he has the power to, uh, to give new life. He's power over the grave. It's a mighty God. And uh, man, I, I would desperately beg and plead uh, that you join us in service to him uh, because he makes all things new and it's good. All right. I love you all. Have a great Easter. Enjoy your time with family. Uh, and I pray that you'd actually consider these things because it will change your life. Ow!